Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Love of Life podcast. And once again, we have Jeff Myers Jr. joining us tonight, and he'll be coming up next. Christian education, because it serves him who says, I am the way, the truth, and the light, is the love of life. This is the Love of Life podcast. Conversations with Jesse and Courtney. All right, and here we are, another episode, and we have Jeff Myers Jr. again. Jeff, you're back by popular demand. How are you? <laughs> I think the popular demand is yours. <laughs> it might be. It might be. Although it, your your podcast, your episode actually did have uh, a, a lot of views and a lot of people that really thought it to be very helpful. So. Uh, you know, obviously, aside from the podcast, we're friends, so it's easy enough to wrangle you in and <laughs> and and bring you bring you on one more time. So I thought maybe we could um really just talk about kind of do maybe a part two, so to speak, of what we were talking yeah. about last, which of course your your expertise, which is finance. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I mean, we talked about a ton of different subjects. Uh, last time and probably I rambled a little bit too much in different areas. So uh, we can kind of hit on a lot of things yeah. or one or two things. Yeah. Um, but definitely. Yeah. Take it away. Let, let's see what, where you want to go with this. Okay. Okay. So, you know, something that the word, the, the one of the buzzwords that is going around right now that a lot of people don't have a lot of understanding about is inflation. Can you break down a bullet point summary, if you will, of what inflation is, and where are we right now with inflation? Has it, is it going up? Is it going down? What's what's going on with it? Yeah, so let's see. Inflation is just the loss of purchasing power associated with the dollar. So to make it really simple, if you think back to, yeah, I'll give you an example. I remember when I was um, a kid, like under 10, uh, when we went out and bought eggs, I think they were like 75 cents, a dollar, maybe. Right now you go to buy eggs and they're $4, maybe, sometimes okay. more. There's a lot of aspects of that. The, um, the, the, per, the point behind inflation is just that your dollar goes uh, not quite as far over time. So mm-hmm. if you keep a dollar in the bank for 10 years... Whatever that dollar bought you today will buy you a lot less in 10 years. Mm-hmm. And so if we think about that, um, what's been really unique is the last 20 plus years, uh, inflation has been pretty low. Um, we've kind of seen it around that 2% mark, which is kind of when you, from the broader economy, the, the, the right number is at 2%. That's kind of a steady inflation number. Um, back in the 70s and 80s, it spiked really high, actually above 10, 12%. Uh, and we saw it spike up to, what was it, 9%, I think, last year. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of different complex reasons for why it did. Um, but most of that was economic government response to what happened uh, during COVID with basically the economy shutting down and it needing to then be stimulated to turn back on afterwards. Mm-hmm. Okay. So 9%, is that where we're at today? 
9% inflation rate or has, what does it look like? So right it's, it's down since then every, uh, every month, the, um, the Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, announces what the prior month's inflation number was. Mm -hmm. And so we usually have a growth number somewhere under 1%. Last year, we were seeing that number actually above 1%. And what it does is it takes uh, a basket of goods, and that's a generally subjective term. What is a basket of goods? It is defined by this government entity. And it's something along the lines of things like food, shelter, um, gas prices, services, uh, a bunch of different things that you kind of expect are normal that are being bought. And they look at the prices of those things one month ago and then today, mm -hmm. or in, in most cases, two months ago and one month ago. And then they tell you how much it changed over the past one, one month. They're all weighted by some made up <laughs> combination of importance. Um, and then that number gets basically gets um, rounded up to some large number. Now, there's a few different pieces of it. Um, CPI is the inflation number. It's the consumer price index. There's something called core CPI. There's something called PCE. There's a lot of different factors. N those aren't really important. Um, this goes uh, right now when... Uh, BLS Bureau of Labor Statistics came out with the most recent rating. Uh, it was like a, I'm going to say half a percent increase over the last month, which puts us at an annualized number over the last 12 months of 6%. And so okay. what we've seen is over the last six months, give or take a little bit more, it's been steadily coming down. Mm -hmm. um, but the problem with trying to understand if it's done going down or if it's going to come back up mm -hmm. is we're looking at a number from last month. So we're always getting, it's called, we call that a lagging indicator. We're going to find out about something that happened last month today. So we won't really know how bad it is until next month, essentially. Hmm. So there's no way of really like knowing if it's going to continue to drop or rise. Correct. Make yeah. That prediction. Right. And everyone loves to make that prediction. And um, there are some really fun charts that show how um, optimistic most people are who make predictions about inflation because inflation's gone like this and their predictions are that it's going to go like this. And then in reality, it either goes like this or it goes like that, or it goes somewhere <laughs> else, you know, so you never know. Um, there's, uh, there's one specific video, which this is just a little bit nuanced, but I think it's a really bit, it's a really interesting point. Um, so the underlying basket of goods used to measure inflation the real estate portion of it um, is measured in a very unique way because it measures rent payments, but they're on a sliding scale, so to say. Um, so rent might be really high this month, but what's reported in this month's inflation is actually rent from multiple months ago. And it takes a while for rent inflation to actually come through uh, in the, the actual inflation rating number. And so um, what we've seen is, is even though, quote unquote, inflation peaked, we've seen housing inflation has continued going up mm -hmm. because of all the price increases we saw in real estate last year. Sure. And so inflation's a lagging indicator. It's telling us something that already happened. Real estate inflation is telling us something even farther back that already happened. Okay. And so that's a really interesting one where when we, we look at it 
just at the underlying aspects of what what inflation measures. Um, there's a lot of really unique components that are hard to um, they're hard to really understand unless you dig into it too much, like a nerd. Sure, sure, like you. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Um, so one of the other sort of fiascos that has made the news in the past week is the SVB bank crisis going yep. under Fed taking over. What's going on with the banks? Are all banks here <laughs> at some kind of uh, risk? Is this a specific bank or actually it was, a, it was a couple of banks, not just SVB, but other ones? Um, right. What's going on? Are we are we seeing the Fed gonna are they gonna completely take over? Is is the goal to take over all banks? Uh, you know what what you know? You're an expert, so what do you see? Give us a little bit of maybe a little bit of a summary, perhaps yeah. of 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 maybe what happened and what's you know what's going on and what might happen here in the future. Yeah, so I don't. I mean, I don't think that the Fed is trying to take over all banks. Now there's plenty of people that might want to say that we might want to go down that conspiracy theory rabbit hole. Um, but essentially SBB bank stands for Sig- Silicon Valley bank. And so if you think about that, what's in Silicon Valley is all these tech startups, entrepreneurs, people that are making a ton of money, Google, Apple, companies like that, that when they come out of there, they get this, they just blow up in value and everyone wants to make money there. So Silicon Valley bank, and the other bank that um, was taken into receivership by the FDIC was Signature Bank. So the FDIC, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, I think, uh, essentially they are the insurance backstop to your urinized bank accounts. So everyone's bank account, just to keep things really simple, is, quote, insured up to a limit of $250,000. So... If the bank were to go under, let's say you're banking at, you know, uh, down the street credit union and um, or down the street bank and the bank goes under, your money that you've deposited there under $250,000, you will still have access to even if the bank is bankrupt and they have no way to pay you. The FDIC will come in and with insurance funds that the bank pays to them through fees that they take off of us, yes, but through that process, they have a pool of assets that they can use to pay out depositors. So SVB Bank, Silicon Valley Bank, had the highest rate of uninsured or the highest percentage of uninsured depositors. What that means is it's something crazy like 93% of the deposits at Silicon Valley Bank were above that $250,000 limit or insurance limit. So that means there were a lot of people with a lot of money at that bank that was quote uninsured. They, uh, as a bank, and this is, it gets really complex. So I'll try to make this really, really simple. Um, When you give your money to a bank, let's say you deposit $100 at Main Street Bank. That is a liability for the bank. It's an asset for you. It's your money. You have access to it. You take it when you want. But the bank is holding it for you. So they technically at some point have to pay it back to you. That's what makes it a liability. Mm -hmm. In order for them to offset that liability, they have to create their own asset. The bank's general way of doing this is by loaning out money. 
So you deposit money at your bank and then you go to that bank and you say, I want a mortgage for my house. And they say, oh, we see that you have $100 here. We'll give you a mortgage. And now because you're going to be paying that bank back that money with interest, that's an asset to that bank. So there's more complexity to that. Banks can do more than just loan, but the majority of their assets should be loans. Uh, but the problem is, is if their clients, their customers don't want loans, they can't generate loans. And so that was kind of the problem at Silicon Valley Bank. You've got a extremely concentrated, geographically concentrated customer base of these tech billionaires, call them, whatever. They're just extremely wealthy people living in, in that area. They're depositing money at Silicon Valley Bank. They don't really have any need for loans. They have a ton of money sitting around. They can do whatever they want with that. Mm -hmm. And so Silicon Valley was reaching this point where they could not loan out any more money. Uh, and sure, they're you know engaging in marketing campaigns, trying to get customers in a different geographic area, but they're highly concentrated. And they have to get those liabilities off of their balance sheet. And so what they did is they went out and they bought government bonds. That's not a bad thing. They're able to do that. Um, but by doing in that, they put undue risk on their balance sheet that um, they weren't necessarily managing appropriately. And they've been doing this since the Silicon Valley Bank has been around for a while. I think it, I think it was formed in 1980s or something. So it's not like it's a brand new bank. But in 2020, 2021, it went from a bank with 70 billion of assets to a bank with 200 billion of assets. So there was a lot of money that came into the private, the tech industry in 21. All of that went to Silicon Valley Bank to sit on its, in their accounts. Um, and so when they bought these treasury bonds, they bought long-term bonds, which are subject to interest rate risk. So what is a bond really quick? A bond is essentially a covenant between you and the, the issuer that says, I will lend you $100. You in 10 years will pay me back $100 plus 2% interest, let's say. Sure. And so you can structure that in multiple ways, but that's a really simple way to think about it. Okay. So when you go to the government and you buy a bond from the government, the, you're giving the government $100 under the assumption that they're going to give you back $100 in 10 years. It's the federal government of the United States. They are considered the safest uh, lender, period. They, they have the ability to tax people to generate revenue to pay you back. So they can pay you back no matter what. So doing that, buying these bonds is a generally safe approach. But the problem is, is because they're so long term, when the Federal Reserve started raising interest rates last year, they did so at such an unprecedented and fast pace that creditors, bankers, those who had bought bonds were put into a pickle because of this. Because what happens is, is when you engage in long-term bonds like that, you engage in something called interest rate risk. And what that means is you don't know how the interest rate will change over the period of time you hold that bond. And what's unique about bonds is when interest rates go up, the value of that bond goes down and they're inversely related. So if you're paying for something with a really high 
interest rate, you're going to pay less money up front for that $100 in 10 years because you're going to get more interest on it over time. With that, a whole bunch of moving pieces right there, right? The mm-hmm. value of the um, the asset base that Silicon Valley Bank had went from 100 billion of bonds. The value was 75 billion mm-hmm. last week. So that 25 billion of losses, they could not sell those bonds, realize that amount of loss in order to pay back the depositors who were requesting funds. And so big losses on their books. They made an announcement at their earnings call last Tuesday about this issue. Mm -hmm. And what they said was, we're going to try to bring in some people to to make more money for us. We're going to raise some more money to cover this. And again, the fact that their client base is so concentrated in Silicon Valley tech, people who are on Twitter, they're very savvy. Um, When they heard something was wrong, their immediate response was, transfer all my assets to somewhere else. And because we live in a day and age of technology where you can literally walk to your bedroom and transfer money out of your bank account in 30 seconds, instead of having to actually go to the bank, we experienced a bank run because I think something like 40 billion of assets was transferred out of Silicon Valley last week alone. And so that bank run caused them to go into receivership with the FDIC, that insurance corporation, which is technically a governmental entity. And so they had to shut down. And um, the when they go into that receivership, um, FDIC guarantees the amount that was insured. So the 250K per person, per entity, that translated to roughly $8 billion. Mm-hmm. But then they still had $170 billion of deposits that they needed to be able to pay back. And so what happens is in that scenario, the FDIC, the Treasury, Department of Treasury, and the Federal Reserve go out and they try to help find someone to buy this bank. And they say, you buy this bank for, call it, um, some sort of discount. So if their assets are worth one, you, uh, you, you come in and you say, I'll pay 75 cents for this because I know that I'm going to have to go in and pay out a bunch of money to these depositors. Um what happened was the bids that came in weren't uh, what the government wanted to see, essentially. And on the same day that they were receiving bids, so they opened bids on Saturday night and they were finalizing them Sunday afternoon. On the same day, Signature Bank failed, quote unquote failed. Uh, New York State revoked its charter, its banking charter that day. So they were in another bind where they also had a lot of assets to be transferred out clients um, that needed their money were requesting a type of thing. So the FDIC, the treasury and the, and the federal reserve all as one came out with a joint statement and said that they were going to fully back all the dollars uninsured or not mm-hmm. of account holders at both of these banks starting Monday. So people who thought we're not going to have access to our accounts come Monday now actually do have access and we're able to transfer their money out. So the, I know this is so long and I'm rambling. That's There's right. so much here. Yeah. Um, what does this actually mean for the banking industry? Mm-hmm. Lots of different things. But I think the overarching theme is that most of us should be pretty confident that 
even if our bank fails, mm-hmm. the government's going to come in and save them. Mm-hmm. Now, the government said these two banks are systemic risk banks. They're extremely important. Uh, SVB was the 16th largest bank in the country. So obviously very large. Um, they, we can pretty much feel like they will take care of us if anything happens to any of our banks, basically. They didn't sure. say that. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is they came out with a new program that allows banks that are in this similar position that SVB was um, where they have assets that are worth something, but if they sold them, they would be selling them at a loss. Mm-hmm. Um, they came out with a new program where the FDIC will loan banks $1, a one-to-one ratio of their assets. They'll lend them 100% of that in order to pay out mm-hmm. uh, depositors at a very low interest rate. Yeah. Um, but it's a lending program to, to cover them up. And technically, it's not a bailout. And according to the government, the reason it's not a bank bailout is because equity holders, um, SVB, Silicon Valley Bank, was a publicly traded company. Mm-hmm. Equity holders uh, have nothing. The bank stock went from like $200, $300 a share last week to zero. Uh, and it's not coming back off of zero. Wow. Um, and then bondholders, those that held the bonds issued by SVB, in, are trading at like 30 cents on the dollar or something like that. So they didn't protect those investors they only protected the depositors sure so sure. i'll stop there for a second <laughs> do we do we really want as you mentioned do we want the federal government to really come in and take over our banks our small private credit unions the places that we personally you know if we have a small bank that we go to it do, i mean I'm kind of asking a rhetorical question, I think here, but do do we really want the government who wants to take seemingly wants to take over every uh, facet of our lives? Do we really want them to take over the banks? And what happens? I mean, do you think that as the, the, the Silicon Valley Bank is, is and do you think it's just a one off kind of episode or is this going to spread? Because if you're like me, and I know you are, you have Twitter you get on Twitter, you you read the fear porn, which is, you know, people I, I'm getting messages from some people telling me, right. take all your money out of your bank, get it out of your bank. Like, oh, what? Like, I have a small private credit union. Is somebody mm-hmm. like me in in harm's way at the moment? Or is that maybe a potential future problem? I mean, it definitely could be a potential future problem. This is not the first time and it probably will not be the last time that this has happened. I mean, 2008, the government bailed out a bunch of big banks too big to fail. It's a different scenario because those banks were engaging in extremely risky assets and investments, whereas SVB was not. They were buying government bonds, but they weren't managing their risk well. So they still were kind of, you could argue they were engaging in some sort of fraud on that front or poor risk management. Um, I mean, look, if you're a capitalist, free market capitalist, no, you don't want the, the government to come in and bail out your banks. You want them to fail and you want them to be a lesson to others to have better risk management controls, to do a better job of taking care of you know clients' monies because they should be afraid of failing. Mm-hmm. And if they have no fear of failing, they know that the government's going to come in, then th- this kind of behavior isn't going to stop. They're right. not going to... They're not going to suddenly say like, oh, let's have a better risk management team. No, they're going to say, yeah, it sucked. They got fired. Um, 
but they're going to get hired somewhere else. Right. And someone's going to pay a lot of money for them having the experience of working at that bank. Yeah. 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 It definitely, um, there's so much information about this particular topic that's going on right now. And as, as I did all week, I'm messaging you, you wrote some articles about this specifically that I found helpful. Um, yeah, I just thought, golly, there's, we, for, for, for someone like myself, I need guidance on issues like this because I'm not in this particular, uh, field all the time. And there's so many various headlines saying essentially, oh, well, the, the sky is falling on Silicon Valley Bank. The sky is now going to fall on everybody's heads tomorrow. Um, yeah. If that's true, I want to know it. You know, <laughs> to, to give me the bare facts. Um, but, you know, uh, yeah, it's just. Yeah. yeah, it's it's I mean, this is part of the problem, like you said, with the fear of porn is like everything. Everyone wants this to be a terrifying scenario to to be Skynet, to be the end of the world, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, this is such a unique scenario where in my world, because I work with extremely wealthy clients, this is, this is a big deal because they have a lot of money in the, in the majority, um, like our world, if you're sitting on more than 250 K of cash, yeah, you probably need to do something about that. And there are some really easy things that you can do to kind of quote, protect yourself. But for like, I don't have $250,000 of cash sitting in the bank. So I'm, I'm not really concerned about that because that's within the FDIC limits, the traditional insurance coverage limits. Now, if you're going above that there, you can, you should do things to take care of that. But this is not something that affects everyone. This is something that affects basically those same Silicon Valley type people, the ultra wealthy, the ones that have more money than they know what to do with. They're just throwing it out the window because they're just sitting on cash at the bank and the bank's like, what are we supposed to do with this money? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I don't see this as a, I mean, yes, there are, there are going to be repercussions and yes, we're already seeing a couple banks having something similar happening uh, First Republic Bank again caters to ultra high net worth, extremely wealthy clients. They have a high percentage of uninsured deposits. Those are the type of banks that this is probably going to be a somewhat issue for in the near term. But I mean, you look at the the classic just mega banks, J.P. Morgan, Bank of America. Like they've already been bailed out once. Mm-hmm. They have just ginormous balance sheets they're not really at risk here. Mm-hmm. Um, that that was something I think that we talked about earlier this week. And I was like, if you're concerned about this, then you should move your money to a big bank. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, and for the record, on Monday, I think Bank of America alone had $15 billion of inflows. Wow. Which is insane. Yeah. <laughs> um, so from that perspective, like, yeah, there's probably a little bit more safety there. But like I said earlier, like it's not great, but at this point we kind of have the idea and understanding that the government's going to kind of take care of any bank to avoid anything bad happening, mm-hmm. which has good and bad repercussions. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what are your thoughts on CBDCs? Well, the central <laughs> bank digital currency, since we're talking about more fear porn here, I get lots of, <laughs> lots of interesting conversations, uh, 
uh, are coming my way regarding the imminent takeover further of our currency, which is fiat already, which means already fake monopoly money. And mm-hmm. uh, they want to make it, in my opinion, I know, I think we talked about this last time on the pod, but I, yeah, because I said something about it's faker than fake or something or other <laughs> uh, that is cryptocurrency. Uh-huh. But this, but the, but they essentially want to make, you know, the central bank is coming up with its own digital version of currency. Just real quick. What are your thoughts on that? And is it imminent? I'm seeing stuff that's going to be potentially happening, I think, in July. Hmm. I mean, it, it absolutely is imminent. There are countries that are already doing this. China has already done it. Um, right. Central bank dig- digital currency, stepping back really quick. Digital currency, like you said, is fake money, uh, but it's great technology. The blockchain technology, which is essentially an immutable, which means unchangeable record of transactions. And so there's safety in that, in that you can say, I paid Jesse on, you know, March 16th, and that will be on the record forever. Mm-hmm. And you can always reference it and everything has to be built off of that. There's a lot of benefit to that. That's why blockchain technology in general is great. And a lot of the cryptocurrencies have not really taken on as well um, because of some of the fear associated with it. Okay. So that technology is really what the government, the central bank wants to use because it's highly efficient and it's going to remove a lot of the slowdown we currently experience. I mean, think about this from my perspective in my world. If we want to send money somewhere, Mm -hmm. we have to send a wire which requires a physical document to be signed mm-hmm. and then sent somewhere. And then we have to wait for the money to happen. If we want to do um, an ACH transfer, which is an asset clearing house, which is basically a way to just send assets somewhere. It takes two days right. for that to happen. That's ridiculous. In the day and age we live in, I can literally send you money via Venmo in 30 seconds, right? right? There's so many ways you can do this. And so, the banking system from that perspective is broken. Uh, and I think the Federal Reserve recognizes that and a lot of central banks recognize that. And so the CBDCs from a positive perspective are meant to resolve that in that they can help automate the behind the scenes functions of money management. Um, you can send assets somewhere uh for example, looking back at COVID when everyone either received direct deposit or a check in the mail for their uh, stimulus check, CBDCs, they could instantly put those in everyone's account everywhere all at once. Now, the downside to that is they also have access to everyone's accounts everywhere all at once. Right. So if you, and this is, I think, the fear associated with it. And I think there's a lot of conspiracy theories around this. Um this social um, wealth, social value kind of thing that, you know, if you know what, um, what's the name of that show on um, Netflix, like um, Black Mirror, I think is what it's called. Black Mirror, right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. There's an episode of Black Mirror where everyone walking around has a social rating and based on your interactions with people around you, your rating can go up or down and then your value is associated with how well you're rated. So the fours, the fours are the ultra, the, the wealthy people, the four and a halfs are like the, the, um, the movie stars, stuff like that. Like, but then the twos are like the janitors and the street sweepers, like, you know, just basically class system, but done through social media. 
um, the concern is that, and what we've kind of seen a little bit maybe hinted at with China, is that if we let CBDCs replace fiat currency, then that type of social value is inevitable and your assets can be taken by the government, seized by the government at any moment if you post something on Twitter that they don't like or you like a post on Facebook that is maybe a conspiracy theory kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's there's fears associated with that. I think it's going to take forever for the Federal Reserve to really get this. And then adoption, everyone who's adopted cryptocurrency is inherently against CBDCs. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to see mass adoption. And that's what they need for this to blow up and, and really get in the direction they want it to go. Mm -hmm. So I think there's positives and negatives to both. I don't know how it's going to end up. It's not going to be black mirror, but okay. we're going to, we're going to have, you know, to understand what's going on better when it happens. Yeah. So do you think that, um, I, I was, when it comes to our American dollar, which has, you know, declined now for a very long time, we got off the gold standard, I believe during what the Nixon administration, mm -hmm. um, is the is is the dollar going away sometime in our future or no no, no? The, the the dollar is the global reserve currency mm -hmm. which means it, it essentially backs up any transaction globally um every single uh country governmental entity has a reserve of, of u.s dollars uh it is the kind of international currency that can be used in in all markets and I, I think that gives it a lot of staying power. So it's not going to go anywhere because of that. Other currencies might find, I mean, if you look at the, um, what is it, the uh, the Turkish lira that had, you know, thousands of percent inflation concerns. And um, there's some great examples. I think that the German Reich um, hyperinflation period where the great stories associated with it were, um, that's a currency from, I think, pre-World War II era. The, the currency was changing and inflating so much so quickly that you would go to a restaurant and sit down and it would cost, let's say, 10,000. Um, I think it's I think it's the I think the, I don't remember the name of the of the currency anymore because now I feel dumb. Um, whatever <laughs> it was, it was 10,000 something when you sat down to dinner. By the time you paid the bill, it was. 15,000. Wow. So like it was inflating so quickly that it essentially imploded. And so the perspective is uh, that's a possibility, but it's so hard for that to happen um, with the widespread adoption that we have from the US dollar, the fact that everyone has reserves, and then the positive and the negative to inflation is that we can print more at any time. Mm -hmm. Anything over here from? from you i don't know what i missed no. <laughs> but um, did you talk about saving tips for we did not do saving tips no okay no we, so we can go to the fun part been, we said we've been yeah, taking a deep the, dive all right the stuff that normal people we've care been about. taking a deep dive on the uh various fiascos and things that have been going on in the news lately really yeah so you're, an, you're an average person what are some ways that with inflation which is hopefully going down we'll see um, what are it is it is going down. He actually explained that it is going down. Yeah, right. But she missed this. It's going to continue to go down. No one can predict that. I right. remember that. Oh, okay. What she are some ways that you can save money? Do you have any good tips? Anything that are just wise 
principles for handling money, super unwise principles, things to avoid. <laughs> um, don't let your brother convince you to buy something you don't understand. How's that for unwise? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's good. <laughs> Don't um, take a trip to Disney. Oh, wait. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think honestly the the best, this is, I mean, behavior is everything when it comes to savings, right? Um, the best way to save for anything, whether it's a goal or retirement or building assets or anything, is to find a way to automate it. And so I think the best and that you can see that through a general like 401k plan, which is your company's retirement plan. They set that up as an automatic deduction from your paycheck. So when you sign up for that, you don't even know that you're contributing to it every single paycheck. And that's kind of the beauty of it because you need to be saving that. And so if you don't know about it, you won't say, oh, I need to turn that off. Or, oh, I don't like the returns here. You just you just look at it five years later, you get a statement in the mail and you're like, holy cow, I've got money. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so like generally that's that's always been my favorite and most um, preferred approach. Because if you set up an automatic transfer from your bank account, you know, on the 15th and the first of every month that you're going to put $100 in the savings, that's going to accumulate really quickly because you're not going to have to physically say, go through the mental anguish of saying, oh, I've got to pull $100 from my checking account and put it into my savings account. It's just going to happen. And you're going to look at it one day and be like, oh, wow, great. I reached my goal. Or I saved what I needed to save, or now I can do the next thing. And I think that can apply to basic savings. That also applies directly to investing. Um, that automatic uh, savings aspect we call dollar cost averaging. So if you're buying the same dollar amount every whatever period of time, two weeks, once a month, you're going to be accumulating assets. And it doesn't really matter what the price is. If you're concerned about the stock market going up, the stock market going down, you're always buying $100 every single month for 30 years. You're going to end up with a lot of money at the end of that whether or not the market has gone up every single day or down every single day or whatever it looks like, you've been accumulating assets there. So that's my personal and the way that I've set up everything for myself is all these automatic goes to my savings account. It goes to my um, brokerage account. It goes to my crypto account. Like all of that automatically kind of happens without me thinking about it because your mind is uh, very strong in telling you not to do it. And if it's painful, it's just like working out. If it's if it's hard to wake up early, yeah, you're not going to wake up early and go to the gym. If it's hard to go to the gym in general, you're you're going to find ways to convince yourself not to go. And so the same thing, it's hard for us to give up our money that we need to buy food, buy clothes, pay for gas, whatever. Like those are essentials. But if we like going to McDonald's every single week, you know, maybe we stop going to McDonald's three times a week and only go once a week. And then we take that extra $30, $40 that we've saved and we make it that every Monday that $40 goes into a savings account kind of thing. Tips and tricks like that. Those are my preferred because it just takes it out of sight, out of mind and makes it automatic for you. Do most banks 
let you set up an automatic from your checking to your savings? Yes. Okay. Yeah, you there most most banks that have a somewhat decent website. And honestly, if they don't, you probably can still call. Um, but you just because you have the ability to transfer between checking and savings anytime you want, you just set up as a systematic transfer basically. So it happens on a specific date forever or when you however long you want it to. Awesome. Very good. Anything else? Um, no, that's helpful. Wonderful. Well, Jeff Jr., you communicate with ease. We're very impressed. It's just amazing how you can just rattle off hard subjects and just elucidate them so swiftly and easily. <laughs> and it is very helpful. So thank yeah, you so I'm much blushing. again for coming on the show. Yeah, we yeah, will definitely hit you up for more money matters um, as things occur in the world. We should make this more regular, like maybe once every other month or something like that. And then just do <laughs> yeah. like a financial update of what's going on in the world and the markets. There yeah. is so much and it, 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 for good reason. There is so much misinformation out there and so many things that it's just like we need people that kn- that are in the industry that really do know what's going on as opposed to people looking to uh, uh, make money off clickbait. Yeah. Most and of, most I of think, the time. Yeah. And I'll, I mean, on that point specifically, one of the um, biggest, I guess, pet peeves that I have within this industry is we as financial professionals love to make it look complex <laughs> and feel complex, whether it's a power move or you don't want people to know how easy your job actually is. I have always taken the the opposite approaches. I people should see how easy this is and how simple it is. It does not need to be there should be no closed doors. It's not you don't have to be ultra wealthy to access this type of information. Uh someone just needs to explain it to you better and not keep it from you. So that's kind of always been my my goal with the knowledge that I have is to share it as simply as possible and often and as often as possible, actually. Um, Yeah. So I would love to do it regularly and maybe we can come up with some um, kind of further tips and tricks, ideas, stuff like that. Sure. So we have my fitness pal and we also have our Jeff pal. (laughs) So this works. All right. No, call me my finance pal, my finance pal. That's that's a little (laughs) bit more professional. All right, Jeff. Thanks again so much, man. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Love of Life podcast, Conversations with Jesse and Courtney. It is our duty through our schools to create a new one, a God-centered one. We are told in Proverbs 8, verses 35 and 36, For whoso findeth me findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death.